0: What's up, Redemption? I'm back, back in the office here, back from vacation and ready to rock and roll. Thank you for joining for this episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast, episode number 34 coming at you. We've got tons of content from Redemption's content creators making videos. We've got some updates for the new Lackey Grand Prix and the new Zoom Invitational Series 3. We've got some official tournament results, and we'll tell you who won at Northeast Regionals in each category. We've got tons of spoilers for the thieves that have been hyped for GOC Phase 2, and we got a brand new guest for you, so what more could you want? We're going to jump right into it. I want to thank you for being here. Let's rock and roll. Alright guys, thank you for joining for The Threshing Floor episode number 34. John Hendricks here as always, and we've got a brand new guest to the podcast. We've got Mark Vellake. How you doing, Mark?
1: I am doing phenomenal now that I'm on the podcast, and I thank you for inviting me on. How are you doing?
0: Doing fantastic. Back from the beach, got me a nice little tan. Got back to the office here, kind of getting back into routine, so looking forward to, you know the next little uh, chapter here, I guess, and that's what I'll I'll start the podcast with. I wanted to share a bit of personal news as far as, I don't know if you saw it personally, but a while back I mentioned we might be moving warehouses and we were kind of getting ducks in a row for that. Um, so that turned really sour for us. So we signed the lease and then we realized that the building that we were going to be going to, the office that I was excited about, was leased by people that at least the other half of the building. So I was going to be left without an office at all. So as I was coming back from the vaca- from vacation, I had this trepidation because like, where am I going to record the podcast? Cause I don't have anywhere at home to, you know, consistently record without interference from the wild animal that I call my son. Um, <laughs> but then, so come back Monday, you know, and the guys had found out that we don't have an office. We're sharing the bathrooms at this building, and it was supposed to be a secured building with us only having access to it. Completely not what was presented to us when we did the walkthrough, and then we eventually signed a lease. So those people had another building come available yesterday morning, and it's even bigger, so it's 50,000 square feet instead of 40, which currently we only have about twenty to 25,000 square feet, somewhere in there. So we were already doing a jump up to 40000 at the space that we were going to get. We're getting even bigger. The, current, or the, the building that came available yesterday, you know, we'll just call that a blessing from God that it came available. We're going to be moving in at the beginning of July. So July 5th, we'll start the process of getting shipments delivered there. So I am moving, and I do have an office. It's going to be about four times the size of my current office. So the podcast will have a place to be recorded. So that is all fantastic. And I've got an even bigger sandbox to play with at the new warehouse. So good vibes only on that front. So that's I just I figured I'd share that to you because I've been kind of worried about where we're gonna record the podcast for after we were going to move into this because once you sign a lease, you're usually stuck in a lease, but these people had a different building come available, so they're just letting us transfer the lease to that other building, which is fantastic news.
1: Yes, it is. Sounds like God knows exactly what He's doing, and I get to listen to the podcast every Tuesday, so I am thrilled with that news.
0: Yes, every Tuesday, except for this week, it'll be Wednesday this week. So,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I guess that's partially my fault. I wasn't available last night, but uh, uh, <laughs> here no, we are. We're getting it done.
0: Well, we'll blame we'll blame the beach though, too. So because. <laughs> I could have did better planning coming back off of the vacation. But anyway, we'll go through a rundown here of recent news that has come out. We've got all of the content creators that are making videos are pretty active this week. We've got a new video from Jaden for his Defense to the Rescue video that he did a couple of weeks ago. He's got part two, and that is now up. That came out last Thursday. Also... Just another shout-out that he does have the Iowa State Tournament gameplay. I watched some of it live when it first uh, was being streamed, and I'm in the process of going back and watching each round of that. Um, I think I'm two or three rounds into that on the replay and just want to make sure that everyone knows that that is a valuable asset to be able to go and see gameplay from a state tournament and refine your strategy and your deck and your approach to what the meta is shaping up to be as we head toward nationals. So I think everyone should be taking advantage of all of the gameplay footage that is available. So definitely want to thank Jaden for getting some of that for us. And then our buddy, the mad scientist, who claims that I only watch three minutes of his video and then click off. Um, (laughs) Mr. Tyler Stevens. I watched. I, I don't know how far I am into it. I did not finish. I did not finish the video that you posted. But your Simon Spam meta adjustment scary defense video. I've watched to the point to where you've gone through talking about the cards, and now you're doing the playtest hand. So that's more than three minutes, so we're going to do pats on back for that for me. So make sure you guys check that out. There's some nuggets in there about how to adjust to what you're seeing in the meta and whatnot, and it kind of sparked a an idea for a podcast topic that's going to be coming in next week more than likely where I'm going to actually have Tyler come on the podcast and we're going to talk about the process of a deck during tournament season so you're playing a deck you believe in this deck you think this deck could be good at nationals what's the current or what's the projected path of that deck how do you use state tournaments regional tournaments to refine that to get ready for play at nationals So we're going to be doing that as a podcast topic probably next week. So definitely looking forward to having Tyler back on the podcast for that.
1: No, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah,
0: I figure we've got a lot of players right now that know how to identify what a really good deck is as far as a basic premise of this deck is good. But then it's the nuances of playing in tournaments and knowing what you're going to see and how to expect and make a meta call and change finer things about the deck just to be in the best shape to compete against a variety of deck types. So definitely wanted to, to do that. After the idea popped in my head, I was like, that's fantastic. That, that seems like what a lot of people in the community could probably use as a resource as they're trying to take that step from intermediate to good player. And then your buddy, Rob M., has Northeast Regionals Type 2 Gameplay I think he tried to get all of the gameplay, but Type 2 was the only one that I think he said was salvageable, and I believe that's what's posted on his channel for gameplay from Northeast Regionals. And in addition to that, he also has a video of a classic game versus rotation, so classic deck versus a rotation deck, and that game is featuring Paul Endolina, and you can see that on his channel rob m studios on youtube definitely got all of the content creators as far as videos go working and there's new content from each so got a lot to do on the agenda for watching videos for redemption so make sure you get those videos all all watched because next week they're going to reload you in fact tyler had another video come out today i'm going to save that to talk about for next week but <laughs> it's just like so much win- and kind of I guess the conversation that we're going to have with Mark here is being away from the game for a while and coming back. Back when you played, before you took your long break of about a decade or so, videos and and things like that were probably pretty hard to come by, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh yeah, they were pretty much non-existent. I mean, we'll we'll definitely get into this more. I wasn't uh, as plugged in as I needed to be to the community at the time, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was pretty much just the message boards. That was, that was the main hub of activity and uh, it was not nearly as dynamic or uh, quite as engaging as the, uh, the landscape that we have nowadays. It's, it's night and day difference.
0: Yeah. So that's a little bit of a preview there of what we're going to talk about coming back to the game after a, a long break, but just so much content being made that is really valuable resources if you want to get good at this game the only thing that you need to do is to play the game and use the resources that are available speaking of resources available we have unofficial tournaments that are continuing to happen that are helping shape and define the meta and those are the Lackey Grand Prix which has number 4 kicking off this week and also the Zoom Invitational Series 3 hosted by Rob M kicking off and for the Lackey Grand Prix, we've got 16 participants and eight participants in the Zoom Invitational. So these are games where you can play with cards uh, that you don't normally get to play in a tournament environment without risking not doing well at an official tournament. You get a lot of testing done, and you get to play against people that maybe you don't play in your play group, things of that nature. So these are very beneficial And it's helping round out and define what the meta is going to be for nationals. So the Lackey Grand Prix number four, round one pairings are live. And the final round of Swiss for that is going to be the week of July 4th through the 10th with top cut to follow afterwards. And as far as the Zoom Invitational, I am not sure how many weeks they're running that. It should be at least three. I think that's been the criteria for the past couple of those. So just wanted to give a shout out for those unofficial tournaments and the people that are working to make those happen because those are really helping players get better and kind of iron sharpening iron, getting ready for, you know, the heart of tournament season, moving from state level into regionals as we get ready for nationals. So those are there. And then this past week, we had another major tournament in Northeast regionals. And you were at that tournament, right?
1: Yes, I was Northeast Regionals. It was phenomenal. First regional tournament I attended in many a year, and it was a, an amazing experience.
0: How many people do you think were there in a playing capacity?
1: I'd have to say roughly sixteen, possibly as many as eighteen.
0: Nice, nice. That's a that's a pretty healthy number considering, you know, it it being in the far Northeast area and. Just comparing that to the Nationals' attendance for the last couple of years. Those are some some definitely healthy numbers.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had some a good mix of uh, veteran players, new players, um, good variety of states. It was a very well-rounded meetup of folks playing together. It was a great, great time we had.
0: Nice, nice. So definitely want to make sure that I give a shout-out here for Rob M. from the aforementioned Rob M. Studios, host of the Zoom Invitational, and – he is the one that made sure that I had the results here to share with you all. So want to thank him for getting that information over to me. So we'll just do a quick rundown of the results. We've got Type 1 was won by the guy that came in third at Nationals last year, Patrick Chavari. I am 95% sure I'm saying that right. Can you confirm or deny that?
1: I cannot. I steered clear of the last name, and I referred to him as Patrick.
0: Nice, nice. That's how I would normally do, but, you know, sitting in this chair, sometimes people want you to be more professional than that. (laughs) So Patrick Chavari. Hopefully I'm saying that right, Patrick. If I'm not, then at Nationals you can can chastise me for it. And second place for type 1 was Micah Rex. And most of you do not know who that is, but you do know who that is. So if – Rob did not lie to me. That would be Lion of Judah Games from Discord. And he got second place. And he's been playing in the unofficial tournaments, the Lackey Grand Prix. He's been plugged into some of the deck building channels and whatnot. And it's nice to see him have a good finish there. Third place was Charles Loria. In type two, we see a familiar name here, Emmanuel At Chavaria, he came in first, and second was Joe Roberts. Third, Charles Johnson. Sealed Deck was, again, first place, Patrick Chavari. Kevin McElrath was in second, and Charles Loria in third. In Booster, we had some guy named Mark Vallake came in yeah, first did. <laughs> and second was Emmanuel again and making his first tournament for the game of redemption Adam Sperlonga. and he came in third for booster draft in your first tournament to, to place in a category that's always fun how was the booster category there did you guys play LOC only or, or just old school
1: Oh, it was old school multiplayer madness. It was every bit as chaotic as I remembered it being. It was a very fun game. We might talk a little bit about that later on, but uh, it's definitely one of those games where we're both rounds. We had three tables, uh, four players per table, and every moment of that chaos, I felt like I was going to puke because of how tense those multiplayer games can get. But Adam goes by old man McGregor on the Discord and uh, a newer player, and he, he definitely did a phenomenal job, absolutely killed it, and, and held his own, drafted well. So he had a great uh, first experience with booster draft, I think.
0: Nice, nice. That'll bring us to the final category, and that's going to be teams. And, you know, it's it's almost not fair when you see the person that won type 1 and the person that won type 2 pairing up <laughs> to play teams. But that's what these guys did. Emmanuel and Patrick teamed up, and they came in first. So they just continued their winning ways there at the uh, regional tournament. And second place was our friend Rob M., along with John McAlesian. I'm going to not even say anything about the last name. Hopefully I did it justice.
1: It's close. I know it's close. I can't remember exactly if that's right, but you are you are very close, if not right on the mark.
0: Nice, nice, and then third place was made up of Amanda Johnson and Charles Johnson. So those are your results from the Northeast Regional Tournament, and it was in by multiple accounts now because obviously I, I spoke with Rob about it. It seems like you guys have had all a great time. So definitely exciting time getting ready for nationals. Do you think that? The experience for state and regionals as as we move forward with the you know the end goal is nationals so you got to do the state the regionals do you think the hype is building for the play group that you're involved with and then the tournament participants at the state level and the regionals because i feel like as we're getting closer and closer the hype's building 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 but you've been to your regional tournament the last thing really that's going to happen before nationals for that group of players do you think the hype is at the all-time high
1: Oh, it's it's going to get bigger. Absolutely, I remember you talking about nationals uh, all the way in the earlier episodes of the podcast, and uh, I was I was mildly interested. Uh, didn't know if I was going to be able to uh, make the time or resource commitment to attend, but uh, you know, I'm not going to lie here. And you talk about that hype train week after week, um, definitely sealed the deal for me. And, and thank goodness that Rob is uh, opening up his his minivan to me, and we're all carpooling up there. So yes, the hype is building, and it is getting bigger every day
0: glad that I could be part of the persuasion there for you and oh yes definitely nice to see that that Rob's helping other players make their way to nationals so we'll all join together in the middle of that cornfield and you know play some redemption together
1: absolutely what what else are you gonna do in a (laughs) cornfield
0: and speaking of nationals while we're right here one of the next things here on the list to, to mention is that it is 51 days away at the time of recording here so when you guys actually get this it will be 50 days away. The big 50. So you've got the better part of a month and a little over a half to figure out what deck you're playing, refine that, you know, maybe play in another another tournament if you haven't had your regionals yet, and then it's it's basically go time. So so much excitement and We're going to get into some spoilers here, and most of them are the thieves that have been hyped up for GOC Phase 2, and they are not disappointing. They look phenomenal, and it looks like you're going to be able to play with minimal resources of your own and just be able to manipulate what your opponents have in play, which just sounds like such a fun playstyle, especially when this makes its debut in Booster Draft.
1: It is going to be... Probably even more insane than the old school multiplayer booster draft. This will be cards being stolen and sniped from all over the table. It is going to be absolute chaos and anarchy, and it will be amazing every minute of it.
0: Yes. So I guess before we get into the Thieves specific cards for Phase 2, we do have our Israel's Deliverance spoilers from this past week as we continue to fill out what the new starter decks are going to look like, at least in their pre-release form that we will see at Nationals in Sealed. So we have the first one is a card titled You Will Be Well, and this is a green Mono Brigade Good Enhancement whose numbers are 5 and 2. And this card says Negate an Evil Card. Opponent must top deck an Evil Card from hand. So you come out, you potentially play your battle winner or you are bigger numbers, they play their battle winner, you get to negate an evil card and then opponent must top deck an evil card from hand. So this is a card that is going to be teaching resource management and you getting to manipulate resources in the opponent's hand. So it's a nice element to include in the starter deck. So I definitely like this concept in the starter decks. The next one is the defensive i guess similar vibe for this and it's going to be a black mono brigade evil enhancement titled philistine chariots it is weapon class the numbers on this card is two and four this card says negate a good enhancement you may draw two so if you remember philistine chariot and horses interrupt the battle draw two play an enhancement this is a toned down version of that So it's nice to see that the concept is, you know, being kept in the game, in the starter decks, but not in its broken state that it was. What do you think about the two Israel's Deliverance spoilers this week?
1: Well, I I certainly miss the days of your, with all of your uh, Interrupt the Battle, Draw 2, Plane Enhancement uh, weapons that were kind of the the crux of many a defense. Um, Obviously, they are, they're a little bit OP, so Philistine Chariots feels like a, a nice middle ground version of that. Um, and it's better than, I think, the uh, than the IJ version of the weapon that just comes out, negates an enhancement. Uh, cards like that, it's kind of a one-hit wonder. You get the negate, and it's not super useful after that when it's equipped to a warrior. At least this, you get the draw two every time you block. So I, I think it's a good middle ground as far as power goes. And it's also introducing... Uh, some very important mechanics for starter decks. Um, I think a lot of new players, or at least I, when I was a new player, highly underestimated the value of the draw two. Uh, getting more resources in your hand is is absolutely critical. And then the you will be well uh, manipulating your opponent's resources, is a very good lesson, like you said, to teach players early on as well. Because I think entry level players they they might underestimate the the impact of having the ability to outresource your opponent and then to also manipulate your opponent's resources.
0: Absolutely. I think overall, from what we've seen so far, and I would assume that we're we're closing in on the end of the spoilers for Israel's Deliverance, because it seems like we've gotten a ton of them already. I can't recall what exactly Gabe said we were at when he was on a couple of weeks ago, but we should be getting toward the end. But we've seen so many mechanics that are included in the starter decks that even, you know, not exploring just card types and different things of that nature. But just the way that you use resources, so your enhancement that negates also gives you a benefit of top decking an evil card from an opponent's hand, so it gives you a little bit of hand manipulation versus if those were like two separate cards. Because once you get into the actual game and what are coming out in new sets, most cards do more than one ability or more than one thing. You know, you might have this or this, or you might do this, this, or that. But they usually have more than one use, and they're more versatile than just strictly just this one sentence of text. This is what you do. And it's nice to see that some of those elements are being carried over into what will be the new starter decks that will be used to teach kids and new players the game moving forward.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: That's going to bring us to... The thieves that were spoiled this week, and it was kind of done in a fun way. The elder team let some of the community members, myself included, so definitely thank them for including me in that. Be involved in sharing spoilers for the thieves. So we've got the main card, which is going to be the fortress that allows you to use the cards that you do take from your opponent, Den of Thieves. And I'll let you go ahead and read that one, Mark, if you want to.
1: Oh, I'm excited for this card. So we got an evil fortress identifier holds any number of thieves and the special ability reads thieves may use any evil enhancement while occupied. If an opponent plays a dominant, you can just straight up take a card from their territory. If a lone thief blocks, you may take an NT crimson card from reserve.
0: Yeah. So that thing sounds pretty good. To be able to take a card, not a good card, not an evil card, just take a card. So they play a dominant, and you can take a card.
1: Yeah, it's but they, they could play a Woes, and if they negate anything other than this, you, you just take that Woes. I mean, that really makes an opponent think twice before playing any dominant.
0: Right, and it actually forces, if you're going to play Woes and the opponent has this down, that they are kind of forced to use their woes to negate this because the way that woes works is because it's tied to the place as soon as it leaves the negate leaves so if they negate something else and you pick up their woes with this then the negate leaves that they originally put on something so if you're playing a woes and the opponent has this it's kind of forcing your hand because of the way that this card's worded unless you have another way to negate this before you play woes so definitely a little back and forth that you're going to have to be aware of if you see the opponent drop this down in their territory. But it also says the second ability, if a lone thief blocks, you may take a New Testament Crimson card from reserve. And I started thinking about, there's there's not a ton of really, really strong New Testament Crimson cards that you want to grab, you know, except for what's coming out in this set. But then... They more than made up for that when you start reading some of the abilities on these cards. So you're not going to be left shorthanded of resources at all with this theme, I don't believe. So the next card we'll get into is called The Thief. And it's got a silhouette of a demon-style character from the Cahaba Productions comic books, Archangels, And it looks to be the character that we've used previously for The Deceiver. But, again, you don't see that. You just see kind of a silhouette with a a dark, hazy background. But this is orange and crimson brigade. The numbers are 9 and 10. And it is a demon and a thief. So those are the two identifiers it has. And this guy negates a good card in a territory. If it is a character or enhancement, you may discard a character in territory to take it. So if it is a character or enhancement, you can discard one of your own characters in your own territory to take it. So at the cost of a character, you can take something from the opponent. And then you may exchange this card with a thief or generic demon from deck or territory. So this is kind of a Joshua style character for thieves and demons. And I think it's pretty cool. And I I don't know if anyone else is nerdy enough to find this pretty cool, but at the cost of discarding your own character, you get to take the opponent's card. And the verse that's used for this is, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So in order to steal, you must kill and destroy one of your own cards. I thought that was pretty neat that they used kind of that in the ability and represented it. So I definitely like this card. What do you think about it, Mark? Mark?
1: Oh, yeah. If you're running Thieves, this is uh, just a souped-up version of the Deceiver. You know, you can go in and grab any key Thief that you want. Maybe even the Thief that grabs the the Thieves, or Den of Thieves, rather. Um, But in addition to exchanging itself, uh, go ahead and negate that good card in the territory. And if you really want to, go ahead and just take it while you're at it. A very, very versatile card, I think.
0: Yep. The next card, I'll let you go ahead and read. And this is our our good friend that was released for... You know, the crowd's demands.
1: <laughs> yes, Barabbas, and he's he's got this uh goofy grin on his face when probably when he realized that he's the one getting released instead of Christ. So uh he's there with his, his uh crowd of buddies who just condemned Christ and he's he's there living up his own thief life. Uh, but we have Barabbas at twelve nine. You may play in an evil enhancement that you do not own, regardless of brigade. So nice little tool to use all those enhancements you've been sniping and stealing and the rest of his ability reads if you do not and if blocking you may take an evil enhancement from a reserve cannot be interrupted and this seems exceptionally good in a day and age when many people seem to be uh, stuffing the reserve full of battle winners and leaving their decks full of tutors
0: yeah this guy right here you mentioned the grin on him i'd be grinning like that too if i was the official crowd's choice haha, nice little callback to Crowd's Choice, the dominant that came out (laughs) in phase one here. But the fact that he kind of has the Den of Thieves ability to use any evil enhancement tied into his ability. So if you go the Thief, you take something that maybe they've played, you know, if it's demons, and they have the place uh, enhancements on a previous turn, you could take that, swap to Barabbas, and he could play that card. You know having that built into his ability he's cbi which is always important for you know not being negated after the fact so definitely think that's a that's a pretty strong character there the next one we'll get into is called fence jumpers and this is a 3-3 crimson evil character that has a generic identifier and thief so it's a generic thief and this guy says, evil New Testament enhancements used by this card are regardless of protect abilities. May band to a generic evil New Testament human. So you're getting the ability to kind of blend things if you choose to do that by banding to any generic evil New Testament human. Or if blocking, you may take an enhancement from opponent's discard pile. So they use unsuccessful on you to stall you then guess what you can take it use one of your characters that has the ability to play it and play it right back on them and this guy's three three so he's potentially going to get initiative for you to play one of your own enhancements if you want and if you happen to have den of thieves then there's a ton of things that you can choose to play depending on what you you have and it'll it'll be interesting actually Knowing that, and I I guess maybe I should have mentioned this when we went over Den of Thieves, is it says thieves may use any evil enhancement, not any enhancement that you have taken from your opponent. So it'll be interesting to see if some people play thieves and build it out using enhancements that do not match the characters relying on Den of Thieves to be able to play that, or if they just rely on whatever they take from their opponent so you don't get stuck with a mismatch of character and enhancement where you can't play it. What do you think about fence jumpers?
1: I think fence jumpers is actually got some decent synergy with um, the idea of the the heretics. I know it's the heretics um, came out after I stopped playing, and they're they're actually considered probably a little bit old news by now. Uh, but the whole idea of uh, playing stuff regardless of protect, um, I think there might be a little bit of synergy between uh, thieves and and some crimson heretics with uh, maybe some soul protection, some of those cheese-type blocks while the thieves uh, constantly pick away at your resources. I I think this guy might help with something along those lines.
0: I never... I guess those came out after you stopped playing, and they were kind of, you know, getting passed by by the time I started playing, so I don't know much about heretics, so now I'm going to have to get on your turn games or something and and look up some heretics to see... (laughs) what what these connections are
1: <laughs> from what i understand they do uh some nt soul protection and i think when you when you get some regardless of protect type cards you know y- you can do that soul protection in spite of melchizedek and and things like that so i, I think there might be something there we'll have to see
0: nice nice so you want to go ahead and hit the next one
1: sure we got uh, thievery of judas which i think was the card i was trying to guess at one point and, and was getting colder as i was trying to guess but uh a thievery of Judas is a crimson enhancement six zero uh star ability is to top deck a thief from reserve and the regular special ability if used by a thief, you may play an enhancement from a reserve or from opponent's hand regardless of brigade
0: yeah, so that allows you to use resources that you have or that you don't have from a reserve so be interesting to to see how that gets used has 6-0 as the numbers. Um, So it could potentially be a decent, a decent card to, you know, take potentially something from their hand to where they can't get over your numbers or whatnot. But having to have initiative to play that, I mean, I guess we've got fence jumpers here. The other thieves that we've seen Barabbas and the thief have high numbers. So, be interesting to see how much you get to play that without getting some type of ability to play it off of a big band or something like that. So I don't know I don't know how much this card actually because it doesn't interrupt or negate anything. I don't know how much it's going to get played versus some of the other cards that do that. What do you what do you think about that? The the ability to take from a reserve or a hand is pretty strong though.
1: Yeah, like I mentioned uh, earlier, I think people are, are tending to put their, their more consistent um, battle winners or more key pieces to their deck um, in the reserve so that they can play more consistently, and then they stuff their deck full of the tutors and the, the drawing cards and the speed so that they can get through their deck, get some key pieces, and then go to the reserve for battle winners. And this this could you know definitely put a, a wrench in somebody's plan if they've got a battle winner that'll mess you up. And even going back to the fence jumpers i don't know why this didn't hit me until just now they go regardless of protect i was thinking of um like melchizedek's lost soul protection stopping your own soul protection to for a block uh but if somebody's got a storehouse out you're gonna need something that's regardless of protect if your whole thing as a thief is to mess with somebody's hand reserve uh so yeah regardless of protect uh, would have to be something in place for thieves to work so three for judas obviously be able to break through storehouse if you got fence jumpers going on in the battle.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I really do like the artwork. This is Carl Bloach, who is the artist for the ultra rare version of the cross. So nice to see some more of his artwork getting used here. Um, I guess this is a card not to harp on it too much. I, I don't know what it is when I read this, I feel like I don't like it as much as I want to, but then I start thinking about it, and the star ability is top deck of Thief from Reserve. That's that's pretty good, but turn one doesn't really help you that much, and maybe that's that's just kind of what's you know, at the forefront. Maybe I'm thinking about that without really thinking of it subconsciously, but then you can take an enhancement or play an enhancement from a Reserve. That doesn't help you on turn one, and so it's really a turn two after. So this is probably one that will get stuffed in the reserve for thieves to grab out after turn one. So make that point here. And then that'll roll us into the ambushing bandits. And this is an evil character that has unity on it. So it's a thief. And then unity is evil characters. And they need to be New Testament crimson. And it has an X identifier and X is the number of your thieves. It's territory class, numbers 5-2. All right, so the ability, again, with unity, is if an opponent uses a good draw ability, that player must give you one of the drawn cards. If blocking may ban to a thief, or you may draw X, limit 3. And that's, again, X is number of your thieves. So this is another territory class draw counter in crimson, and... If you're pairing this with something like Judas or Priest of Zeus, potentially, well, I mean, I guess you can't do Priest of Zeus because it's going to be breaking the unity there, but Judas is actually on his hero side, so you could play him just more punishment for draw abilities, and we know how popular Matthew is right now and how popular draw abilities are, and they're on just about every... Every theme has a card or two that just has draw two randomly thrown on it, it seems like, which helps speed up the game and make sure that we're avoiding timeouts a little bit. But it also is going to help players that like to play counters like this. So this one seems like a pretty strong card that is going to be in, I would assume, the majority, if not all, versions of Thieves that are built by players once GOC Phase 2 comes out. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like you just said with the draw two, I mean, could you imagine every single time you were drawing two, you had to give up 50% of what you're trying to draw? And that that might be some awfully hard decisions, I'm sure, during many of these games. So it, it almost makes me think if I'm trying to, to run speed, if I'm trying to draw stuff, either I got to draw a bunch and, and and hope I have something in there I'm willing to give you, or... Just stop drawing because these guys will punish that so much.
0: Yeah, and something like Prosperity Lost Soul, if you get that out mid-game while this is established in the opponent's territory, are you going to discard a card to draw two and then give them one of the two, so thereby costing you two cards to get one? It turns a one, uh, two-for-one into a one-for-two, <laughs> Yeah, so,
1: and it completely nerfs draw one cards. I mean, there's there's literally no point to drawing one anymore with this out. Yep,
0: yeah, that's right. So definitely, definitely think that most thieves that are built are going to include this guy because there's just no reason not to. And it seems like there's enough tools for thieves to not really worry about the unity on this too much because it seems like you're able to get resources from the opponent and your own resources to make sure that you have enough stuff to get blocks in the game so that'll bring us to ambush and this is the card that i got to share with the community so i have already read it several times so i'll let you read that to the people (laughs) out there mark
1: yeah it's it's actually got an exclamation point so it's ambush we have a crimson enhancement six zero special ability interrupt the battle very important you may take a thief from reserve. Character may ban to any number of New Testament crimson humans. Cannot be negated if used by thief. This is an interrupt the battle, which itself cannot be negated. That is really good stuff.
0: Yep. Yeah. And if you're playing somebody who happens to have um, what's Colosseum or the cross down to where the CBN cards get tossed... You don't mind it because it is 6-0, so it's got decent numbers if it does get tossed. But interrupt the battle, go to your reserve, and then may ban to any number of New Testament crimson humans. So there again is the unity requirement for the ambushing bandits. So you can blend New Testament crimson with thieves without getting penalized there, and you can ban them in here. So CBN by a thief is also... Very good, I think that's a card that will be in most of those for interrupt the battle, band in a guy like it was uh, the thief. Yeah, that's that's what it was that negates a good card in a territory and then exchanges. So you could have him in territory, interrupt the battle, band to him, go to your deck to get, grab another guy out. So a lot of versatile, uh versatility with that and options to bring in extra blockers. So that'll bring us to Left for Dead, which is a Territory Class Enhancement. The numbers are 2-3. It is Mono Brigade Crimson, which another thing that I really like about the thieves here is we've seen one card that is multi-brigade. Everybody's worried about Matthew and things that punish you for having multiple brigades in play like Babel. And we're rolling with one brigade and then the things you take from your opponent obviously will add to that. But in your own deck and things, when they check, it's going to be mono brigade for most of this stuff. So Left for Dead is territory class. It says, if used by a thief, you may take a card, accept a dominant from a reserve. So that's a reserve, so any reserve. You may discard a hero in battle. Cannot be negated by a multi-brigade card. And... That's pretty That's pretty important because cannot be negated by a multi-brigade card. This is territory class. If they drop Moses down, that negates cards. Moses is multi-brigade. This is CBN, so you can still go to their reserve and take a card if used by a thief. Pretty good card all around, I think. What do you think, Mark?
1: Yeah, I think this will actually... Uh Pair. I mean, obviously, it works with thieves, but I think it'll it'll pair nicely with uh, maybe an NT Gold offense too. I mean, think if about NT Gold characters going out, constantly hitting your opponent's deck and reserving stuff. Uh, maybe you hit something pretty decent. You wanna you wanna take from their reserve now that you've stuffed it in there. So you can you can assault their hand. You can assault their reserve. You can assault their deck, both on the offensive and defensive side. So I think there could be some pretty Some pretty brutal resource manipulation if you were to pair N.T. Gold with N.T. Crimson.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, at the Tennessee State Tournament, I got to uh, observe the last few minutes of a game between Chris using New Testament Gold paired with Evil Gold, which is mostly the Egyptians, against Sean from his playgroup, and he had just a row of cards and it's like just a ton of cards. And he's like, these are the cards that I've reserved this turn. These are the cards I've discarded. (laughs) These are the cards that are removed from play. And it was just like so much resource manipulation. And it, it looked like it would be a fun thing to play. And so you get to troll your opponent a little bit by manipulating their resources with new Testament gold and with the mill strategies. And now you pair in some thieves to kind of blend in that if you can or if you just play thieves on their own, you get to troll the opponent by using their own cards against them. Redemption's going get, to get pretty wild in the next year, I think.
1: So, Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, Thief on Thief decks, That's that's just going to be one crazy back and forth between those two decks.
0: Oh yeah, that'll be interesting in the mirror match to see if they almost penalize themselves by having enhancements that just take enhancements from the opponent to where <laughs> I play this, I take something from you, but it only takes something from you because you're playing the same thing I'm playing instead of having the potential battle winners that you're taking from the opponent. So it be interesting to see how mirror matches line up with thieves on thieves. But if thieves are jumping fences, if they are ambushing people, if they are leaving people for dead... They're also going to want to rob the temple, so that's going to bring us to Temple Thieves, which is a crimson mono-brigade evil character that is generic and thief identifier. And the numbers are 6-6. Six, six. And this card negates a good card. So that's the first sentence of the ability, so ambush, interrupt, and band. Interrupt and negate a good card. But the rest of the ability is if blocking... You may take an artifact or animal from opponent. If you do not, you may play a thief or den of thieves from deck. Cannot be negated. And this is the one that you hinted at before that searches out den of thieves and puts it in play or whatnot. So temple thieves are definitely going to be in thieves if you build them because it's that extra tutor for den of thieves. But if, if anything else, like it's your interrupt and bring in guy while you're still staying in just the one mono brigade crimson. So pretty good pretty good character there, I think. And definitely in type 2, being able to use multiple of these to increase your chances of getting Den of Thieves out of your deck. That's going to be very important. So I think Temple Thieves is pretty strong.
1: Agreed, agreed. And if I was really running a heavy thief defense, I think I'd even throw in... Uh, table of demons i believe it is to to add one more tutor to get to that den of thieves as fast as humanly possible because that's what's really gonna make thieves go from uh, annoying to just downright brutal yep so
0: that'll take us to the next one and we've got two more here guys so i know it's it's been a ton of spoilers here but you basically have the whole lineup of thieves here plus you know we've seen a couple sprinkled out like the highwayman before that are going to fit in here with a nice draw boost but we've got two more enhancements here you want to go ahead and run over that first one
1: sure we got stolen treasures 50 brigade crimson evil enhancement it does have a unity condition of evil characters in battle must be thieves so don't be playing this on your heretics the special ability with the unity condition is you may take and or deactivate an artifact from an artifact pile or a reserve. If you do not, you may reveal a card you do not own from hand to end the battle in a stalemate, which is a very nice card, very versatile. You get the, the solid battle winner as far as battle ends in a stalemate or use this as a uh, slightly different version of deliver, just just straight up take and or deactivate an artifact.
0: Yeah. I think this being able to take the artifact and activate it. So you get to choose whether you want it in your hand or if you want to put it in play. Um, So if it's, you know, something that like a curse or something that has multiple uses because it's got multiple identities. So evil enhancement and a neutral artifact, you could take it and keep it and use it for the enhancement side potentially. But... One thing that I really like about this is it gives, depending on what your hero lineup is and what you're doing with your heroes, it gives thieves a way to potentially play, what is it, three nails? That is basically a board reset, (laughs) so they come in to block. Sure, you drew all your cards with Matthew, but I'm just going to shuffle everything. So, okay, (laughs)
1: Plus, you took away their three nails to use as uh, as an if auto block against you.
0: Okay, we we mentioned being a troll before. That might be the ultimate troll move, but you wouldn't <laughs> know that it was in their artifact pile because it would be face down. But if you got lucky and you just checked and it was three nails and you were able to use that, yeah, I think I think that would be the break that uh, put somebody on tilt immediately. So stolen treasures looks like a fun card and definitely worth the unity on that and it's nice to see that the unity is only what's what characters are in battle but knowing that it is a Matthew enhancement so it is a New Testament Crimson enhancement and we mentioned before there's a guy that gets you an enhancement back. Who was that? Um one of these guys Get you an enhancement from your discard pile, right?
1: Um, fence jumpers takes from opponents discard pile.
0: Oh, that's what it is. Okay. I was going to say to get multiple uses out of that and also be able to potentially use unsuccessful, you're starting to add elements of a, a solid chump defense if you wanted to go that route with them as well. But that'll bring us to the last enhancement here, which is going to be stolen seed, which is one in four crimson. Enhancement, Mono Brigade again, and it has a star ability to top deck a good enhancement from reserve. And then the regular ability is underdeck an evil New Testament human in battle to protect lost souls from rescue. So you come in, you get initiative, underdeck an evil New Testament human in battle to protect lost souls from rescue. And then if you're underdecking the only evil character in battle, You don't have a character to be holding this enhancement. So it would remove itself from play and go to the discard pile. So being protected from woes and chronicles after the fact, if you're doing it with a lone blocker. So pretty strong card there. What do you think about stolen seed?
1: Telling you lost soul protection chump blocks. I think there might be some synergy there with some heretics. I could see some fun things going on. Plus the, uh, the New Testament Lost Souls and GOC as well, that uh, I think there might be something there. I might have to play around with this. Definitely yeah. a good card to use with um, Fence Jumpers with his, regardless of protectability, so he can just protect Lost Souls right through Melchizedek.
0: Stolen Seed, definitely a, a valuable element to their actual blocks that they self-contain without relying on what you get from the opponent, being able to protect Souls. So that's a a solid potential battle winner for you on the defensive side without relying on what your opponent gives you. So basically we've got the makings of a solid-looking good defense here that's going to be insanely fun to play, I think, especially when you do booster draft at Nationals and you're able to start taking cards that you didn't draft and using them against your opponent that did draft them. That just sounds fun.
1: It sounds like madness and incredible fun.
0: Yep. So, definitely want to uh, make sure we're refueling. I know gas is expensive right now. It's almost five dollars a gallon where we're at here. Four eighty nine. I know that it's hard to keep buying gas, but make sure you keep fueling the hype train because Nationals is going to be insane. It's going to be fun. It's going to be worth every bit of expense that you pay to get there. I believe. I think this is going to be, I've only been to one national, so don't let me, don't let me talk like I know for a fact of, of what other nationals have been, but just the experience that I had last year. And I thought it was a great experience. And then what I'm expecting from this year is night and day. And that's not to knock any, anybody from last year or the venue or anything like that. It's just everything that is pulling you to nationals this year in Iowa is just insane. It, it, side events, you've got new starter decks, you've got phase two, booster draft, debut for Gospel of Christ, and then you've got you know all of these unofficial tournaments and tournament results getting shared to where the meta is being well-defined, to where you feel like you could build a deck that's going to compete well. Nationals is going to be fantastic, so I cannot wait. 50 days away from the time that you get this recording, I am so So hyped for it.
1: Absolutely. It cannot come soon enough, but at the same time, goodness, I I wish I had years to prepare for this thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we'll get into our conversation here a little bit. And what I wanted to do is I know that there's a lot of players that have previously played Redemption maybe in a previous era and dealt with whatever the meta was then, whatever the latest sets were and then they've stepped away from the game for various reasons and then come back to the game and what the game is, the game state now, where we are as a community, where the game is as far as set design, things of that nature, and just compare that in, in the process of getting back into the swing of things. And I figure that could be beneficial to a lot of players that are returning right now. And it's nice to see players returning to the game, especially the ones that, you know, get you excited because it's like previous national champions are, are people that have placed at nationals coming back. So you're getting a lot of that top level talent back, but even the ones that maybe necessarily wasn't at the top of the game or whatnot, just seeing people come back to build the community out and round it out. And I just thought this would be a nice resource for those players to kind of use and, you know, lean on the experience of a fellow player like Mark that is returning to the game. Before we get into the specifics of that and talking about that, Mark, do you want to share about yourself to the community, since this is the first time you've been on the podcast, kind of introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Absolutely. So as introduced, uh, my name is Mark Vellake, and I played Redemption back in the day, about 2004, and we'll get into what my time looked like there in a little bit. I decided to get back into the game of Redemption as part of a... A new ministry of our church, so I serve as a deacon at First Baptist Church of Moravia. Shout out to those folks there. Very small town, small town church, uh, but we are very much dedicated to the Word of God and getting the gospel into our local community. And you know, COVID hit, so I thought, you know, people are are not doing the things they used to be doing, right? We're not running around with uh, youth groups and everybody sweating and breathing all over each other. So, so maybe there's something else we can do, and and that's where I had the the idea of this game that I used to play way back when. And uh, we're a few months into our play group. It is uh, led by myself, my lovely wife, Jalissa. Zach and Kim, they're another husband and wife couple. Um, Zach actually did extremely well at the New York State tournament. So he, he used to play, by, uh, play back in the day as well, a long time ago. Uh, similar to me, I actually got his perspective on some of these questions. And he rejoined the game and I kind of retaught him how to play. And we're both getting up to speed. And I got to give one last uh, shout out and congratulations to a very dedicated play group, uh, Ben, Luke, David, Mike, Dan. Uh, these are the folks that we see every other week, every other Thursday at our church to meet, to recruit new players, to learn how to play the game, to study God's word through the game as well. So this this is really my my mission now. I used to play Redemption and host tournaments and was a pretty avid player back in the day, but it was it was mostly just a, a game, something fun. I, I enjoy CCGs, uh, this type of thing, but but now it's definitely uh, more than that. I think God is using it to do something uh, much more important. And, and it's great that uh, this is a fun and creative way to get the Word of God into the lives of the folks at our church, um, adults and kids. We've got a great age group, and especially to unchurched folks in our community. That's That's really why we're doing it. I love the uh, shirt that Rob wore to Northeast Regional Tournament. Uh, Lost souls matter, and that is absolutely true.
0: Definitely uh, nice to hear that you've got a good start to your play group coming back to the game. And I guess we'll we'll just kind of ask some questions here, and you know, basically compare previously to now, and and see what the process is. To you mentioned getting up to speed with what the game currently is and what it presents. As options for being a player of the game so what's the process been like from the time that you returned you you decided to check it out you looked into it and found out i'm guessing that a lot of people i don't know if you had the same thought but a lot of people are like i wonder if that game is even still around and then they look into it and they find out it is and there's new sets coming out and it's almost like a bit of a shock that it's still around did you have that or did you know it was still around
1: I suspected it might still be around. Um, I I was hoping it was, but I was not convinced. I was not sure if the game had uh, declined in its old age, being the second oldest CCG, or if it had grown. And uh, much to my my surprise and excitement, it seems to have grown considerably and is in a much, uh, much better place. And and really, I shouldn't be surprised at all, because um, I knew... Mr. Miyota, I know he wants us using his uh, his Discord name, but he he was really responsible for getting our uh, original play group that I was part of when I first started playing off the ground. And I was like, if, if this guy is still involved in Redemption, there, there's no way it's gotten smaller. It had to have gotten bigger, and sure enough, it has.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Mr. Miyota, and I'll I'll use that name for him just to to stay uniform here, but. He's got enough personality that, that you don't come in contact with that and not at least check out what he's trying to sell you. You know what <laughs> I mean?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. He got me hooked.
0: And for those of you that are listening and know exactly who we're talking about, make sure this is just me putting out the feelers that at Nationals we will be doing some collaboration stories. So I'll be collecting stories. So favorite stories for Mr. Miyoda and compiling those into an episode for the podcast to shout him out and all of the impact that he's had on the game. Speaking of him, you know, growing the game and and whatnot, he is part of the driving force to get the game in with Royal Rangers, which is showing some growth for the younger players and getting them involved with it. So definitely he is still very vigorous with, you know, reaching out and trying to grow the game to new players. So Definitely glad to have him part of the community and enjoyed meeting him last year at Nationals for the first time. So definitely definitely a strong part of the community there. But what what do you think the process for getting back into the game and getting up to speed with being able to go to a tournament and win booster draft? What has that process been like overall from, you know, day one to now?
1: Well, day one of research, lots and lots of online research, and uh, much to my surprise and a uh, light uh, enlightenment and an elation. Really, there's there's actually a lot of good online resources now. Uh, this was not at all something that was a thing back in the day. There there really weren't that many great online resources back then. Uh, there, there were a few, but uh, not very mainstream. Not not as thorough as nowadays. So once I got a, a feel for game, and I I really decided to to get involved in this. Uh, I got hooked up with Your Turn Games, I got set up with a deck with Derek, in fact I I sent him an email and was asking him some questions about a purchase, and um, true to being a member of this community, he uh, actually responds with a request to call, so we we called, we chat, he wants to know know, how I got in the game, and he definitely got me set up and, and worked with me getting some cards into my hand, rotation cards. Uh, Land of Redemption is another amazing resource. The the many YouTube channels, all that stuff was extremely helpful. So that was that was a big step one. So back in the day I was also a semi-active member in the message boards. And again, that was that was kind of the main information hub. Um, I wasn't as active on there as I probably should have been. It would have been much better for my competitive play if I had, but I knew it was around and I could see from cactus that the message boards was still a thing. So I decided to hop on there and, and see how to how exactly to get plugged into the community and, and who can point me in the right direction. And where do I go from here? Didn't even know the discord was a thing at the time. So immediately after putting in my new profile into the the message boards, of course, Mr. Miota sends me a message in his, his usual passionate enthusiasm and and welcomed me back with open arms and uh, definitely pointed me in the right direction got me hooked up with rob mule who was less than two hours away from me and hosts tournaments regularly and uh, to be honest getting reacclimated to the game would not have happened as easily it might not have happened at all without the resources that are constantly being created and refined by the community and the constant help that that I was able to take advantage of. It was it was a huge benefit. And actually, Rob's tournament at district in the fall was the first uh, real gameplay experience that I had after more than a decade of, of being out of things. And it was a a great reentry into the game and and being able to get on Discord and chat with everybody from the elders to other new players. It's it's been quite an experience.
0: So a lot of available avenues for you coming back into the game and that's definitely something that I think the community does really well with especially now so many and we talked about at the beginning of this so many content creators and it's not just that there's several of them it's that they're active and we go over three different people that had videos come out this week you've got the podcast that's a weekly staple you've got all of the conversations that are happening consistently and basically constantly on discord now so, it's definitely what I feel is, you know, things that should make it easy for a player to come back into the game after being away from it for a while. So, let me kind of change gears here and ask you when you were playing, and I think you told me that you left the game around 2011 or something like that. So, basically, a decade away, maybe a little more, a little less, somewhere in there. How would you describe the era of the game that you previously played in for someone like me that was not around at that point. Describe what Redemption was when you played the first time.
1: Well, this is going to be a very individual perspective uh, because if you weren't plugged into the community, if you weren't aware of the the meta game at the time, typically uh, I believe most players, maybe in, in smaller play groups who weren't kind of plugged into the wider Redemption community, there were these mini metas that would develop. You played against the people in your play group, and that's, that's kind of what developed everybody's decks around each other's decks. So my perspective may not be the same as everybody's, but uh, I'll, I'll give it my best shot here. But I played uh, during the years of 2004, 2011, as you mentioned. So if you hop in your podcast time machine, it will take you back to a time before the priests, before demons had an orange brigade, before priests had a teal brigade. All booster packs came in foil, and it was a very different world for Redemption. Uh, It was interesting, our our mini-meta and the playgroup that I had led at the time, so I was barely a teenager then. So not even that uh, great at CCG's in the first place, I was mostly doing this for the fun. Uh, But even then, in my uneducated state in Redemption, I I kind of knew that Fight by the Numbers was a meta that the game had kind of moved on from, um, obviously that used to be the one and only way to win for a time with big fight by the number characters, but I, for whatever reason, stubbornly refused to gave that up. So that's what I played in my group was the strong angel, captain of the post, um, OG Moses and all those. Now the fight by the number is something I stuck with, but it's the, uh, Prophets, that was a big thing that came out in Foof. Uh, the Faith of Our Fathers, that was a big thing at the time. Uh, obviously, the Garden Tomb came out with Rock of Ages. So I, I was aware that that those were becoming big things. Uh, to be honest, it's, it's actually kind of funny because um, I did not embrace the Garden Tomb because I just didn't think it was that great. And this was just me not being plugged into the community and not understanding it. But I'm thinking everybody in my playgroup plays mono brigade defenses. Uh, what's the big deal with the the Garden Tomb? It seems like kind of a, a dumb card and and has little to no use. So um, I certainly learned a lot about that, actually reading on the history of Redemption nowadays and, and kind of seeing the, the massive shift in the game kind of went on around me without me even being aware of it. But the era of the game was also mostly, I think, defined by large uh, banding chains. That was another popular thing. So maybe before Garden Tomb, uh, before the Foof Tins when we're sticking with the classic uh, boosters. Definitely multiplayer games, even a lot of two-player games. It was just large splash offenses. Every every character, of every brigade, as long as they could brand together, got like the C&D deck, Tribal Elder, and uh, Women's Pack, Claudia, and so forth. So large banding chains, fast deck, lots of drawing cards, and a little tiny defense of um, cheese blockers. Red Dragon immunity, or or Uzo when he came out, so that was kind of the the air of the game. It was it was a lot more straightforward. I mean, fight by the numbers is as straightforward as it gets. Uh, large banding chains, there's nothing too sneaky about that. You're just coming out with a wall of characters, and that is very much different than the game nowadays. I I think you'd agree. Yeah,
0: although I think kind of some of those elements are still there. You you do still have some players that are able to try to use fight by the numbers as a strategy maybe not your overall overarching strategy among all of your attackers or whatnot but you see with like toss that's kind of trying to create fight by the numbers and then utilizing your enhancements to toss down the opponent so you have that similar strategy and then we still have banding obviously and we have people that are trying to do you know chump blocks or or cheese rescues as is called when you choose the blocker and things of that nature. So it's interesting to see as cards have changed and we've even rotated and things, maybe things don't happen in such a broken way, but there are similarities to having avenues for those playstyles to still be elements within the game.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Agreed. And I think they're further developed, too. I mean, even at the regionals, I ran a, uh, a Moses deck. And, of course, I had uh, David... Uh, Outcast refuge banding to Zadok banding to Moses. You have a nice, large numbered banding chain with the fight by the numbers. So definitely a a throwback to the old days. You know some things are are never going to change, but at the same time the game has changed so much that you know there's plenty of ways to deal with that. And and there's a lot of CBP stuff that you can play. And you know you get punished for having multiple brigades and a lot of elements that weren't really there at the time. And Cheese blocks, cheese rescues, obviously that's, that's never going to go away. As long as there's cheese, we will embrace the cheese. Uh, however, I, I'm seeing more decks have a little bit more balance to them. I think back in the day, it was definitely offense heavy. You had the smallest possible defense to hold off an opponent just long enough for, for you to win before you had a chance to lose. And I think that's obviously still around, but it's cool to see more actual battle interactions. You know, it's not just that my defense is just Uzzah and Sabbath Breaker and maybe one or two other guys, but it's it's actually got a little bit more oomph to it, and you can actually have some some fun battles nowadays.
0: Yeah, funny, funny that you mentioned that, because how you describe that is exactly how I thought the game was right up until last year when Love at First Sight hit the scene, and then we went into rotation. I think it was speed was definitely... King and you you saw people they were run like Deceiver, Foreign Wives and one, maybe two other evil characters like Uzza being <sighs> one of them. Oh, and yeah. maybe two enhancements and one of those was wages to grab your dominance. So definitely, uh definitely that that was still around until I think rotation, and I think since rotation happened, and maybe that's probably, you know, more of what you've seen since you've come back you know, being that you said you bought rotation cards and kind of jumped right into potential tournaments and things, is I think balance is starting to happen more so or or leaning more toward balance now with rotation and with GOC coming out and the meta that's being defined through these tournaments that are happening. Seems to be more uh, leaning towards maybe not perfectly balanced. I don't think we're there yet, but people are more willing to attribute you know, deck space to defense that's going to get you blocks to hold off your opponent while you get to your win condition instead of just blazing speed. But I think also that's coming because you're not having to build your deck with intense blazing speed because you have draw abilities that are, you know, just whether you're trying to build your deck for speed, speed is, you know, built into the set as a design piece now. And that's probably because of all the timeouts and things of that nature. How would you describe... The or what would you say are the main differences between the era? So you, you mentioned some of the things that, like, playstyle or whatnot, but overall, like, even community-wise, or, or who you played with back then, what do you think the differences are, or the vibe around the game and being a redemption player back 2004 to 2011 versus
1: now? Well, I'll say one gameplay uh, difference that the game has undergone that I noticed very quickly is the importance of the prep phase and the length of the prep phase, particularly your turn one prep phase. Uh, my wife kind of jokes that um, when I put together a decent deck with uh, embracing some of the, the more modern deck building norms, um, you know, it takes maybe a solid five minutes or more just for the first turn prep phase. Uh, whereas back in the day that that was, typically not the case right there was there was no territory class cards until disciples and that was just about the time i left so the prep phase was pretty much just activating an artifact maybe activating a fortress pop a lost soul into a site and that was that was pretty much it whereas nowadays i think games can be won or lost pretty handily in the prep phase and there's a lot of choices to make during the prep phase each turn so that's that's one big difference i think the game has become much more nuanced and complex just in that pre-battle phase alone
0: yeah definitely while you were sitting there and uh talking about it and i was just thinking it's very it's very nuanced and then you use that exact word to describe it because it's <laughs> like you can know what to do in order to be a quote-unquote player a even good player with a good understanding of the rules but like there's so much of the card interactions are so broad now that it's like you have to be able to feel your way through a game a little bit if that makes sense do you do you think that's that's kind of the case coming back to it it seems like when I look at older cards it's almost like they played a little bit more straightforward and now with cards having multiple abilities or multiple ways to use them increasing their versatility It's kind of like a game isn't just we're starting here and we're ending here. It's like you're having to navigate through a minefield of they've got this card, but they might use it that way. You know, dominance do multiple things or can be used in multiple ways. Similar to like Chronicles, you can use it to stop, you know, an opponent in their prep phase so they don't get any territory class activations before battle or you can wait and use it in battle awesome things being very versatile because it can be battle extension or it can be play first on a meek hero things like that it's just like you're you're kind of just ebb and flowing with the game and trying to manage a whole bunch of like you've got your hand in a bunch of pots and you've got to you know you got to know what you need to turn off when you need to turn it off with a negate how you're going to manage that territory war before you go into battle and it seems like previously and maybe this is just Me looking at it with, you know, straight X's and O's, looking at the cards and not knowing how the meta or how playgroup meta was built or, or defined back then. But it seems like it was mostly just get into the battle phase, try to win the battle and then go to the next battle. And now it's like, I'm not ready to attack yet because I'm trying to do this to stop you. And you're using so much of that time in the prep phase, like you mentioned. Do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: Oh, I, I think the statement of, of feeling your way through the game is uh, very accurate, especially since I, I feel like Bartimaeus trying to feel my way around as, a, as an inexperienced player in the rotation and how the game has adjusted since I last left. Um, I mean, just to give you a quick example of what you were just describing, in the regional tournament, I, I lost a game uh, due to a misplay, and I wasn't even aware of the fact that I was misplaying at the time. I was blocking with the, the super silly scribes, and I have the option do I take an enhancement from my reserve or do I band? Because again, it's not straightforward. It doesn't just do one thing, it gives you a myriad of options. And of course, I picked the wrong option. I pulled the enhancement from my reserve and did not band. And immediately thereafter, the opponent drops an Angel of the Lord and won the game at that point. So, yeah, definitely being more familiar with what your options are, what the consequences and potential consequences and what the options of your opponent is based on the options you take, a lot more going on, it's a very different game, um, but definitely more fun. It makes it makes every decision feel very weighty and, and important and and because they are.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that was that was probably the start of me feeling like I was getting to and I I won't ever claim to be a good player. 'Cause heck, at this point with the way that life keeps me busy with my son's baseball and all of that and work here, I feel like I don't I don't play enough to ever feel like I'm going to be in that good level because I think that's the one thing that in order to ever be good, nobody just plays redemption and, you know, steps away or are, you know, is dormant for a couple of weeks or whatever and then comes into a tournament and boom, lightning in a bottle. It's like you got to keep sharpening that edge. It's it's like if you let it get dull, then you get into a game and the nuances will drown you. That you don't feel yourself through that game, and you're like, man. But um, I feel like when I first started getting to where I was an adequate player, I'll use that word. Like you start knowing what the opponents potentially going to do before they do it. And you start, you know, like knowing that your opponent potentially has Angel of the Lord there, so you should have went into a band so that they can only get rid of one evil character instead of grabbing the enhancement, especially if you have an avenue to another enhancement in your hand or something like that. But just knowing what options are in the game, what is common within the meta and what you expect to see and things of that nature. And and putting that together is one of those things that you talked about, there wasn't really a way to plug into the actual meta on a national level. Everybody's play group was kind of subdivided into what you were playing in your local play group. So I'm sure when you went to nationals, you had no idea what you were going to see. And I feel like that's completely different than now because if you go to national, if nationals were tomorrow, I think we would know a handful of decks that we're expecting to see and they would be prevalent and they would be, you know, things that you could plan your deck around and kind of have an idea of and I think that comes back to the community the resources that we have available and everyone being willing to share information and I think that's that's probably a huge improvement for someone that's coming back to the game versus what it used to be and it lets you plug in and try to advance to that level to where you know kind of how to feel yourself through that game.
1: Absolutely absolutely it's a big difference and and it's a very good credit to the community. I think it's it's what makes Redemption different. It's cool to see how a community of of largely believers can kind of express that through gameplay. The fact that that people are willing to to share their deck lists and nothing is kept overly uh, you know private and hush hush, and we're all at each other's throats. This this is a this is a good thing we got going on.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned you know a little bit of gameplay. Is there any any other comparisons you want to draw from the previous era as far as gameplay goes like when you sit down you mentioned the prep phase I feel like the battle phase though with the options that you have and losing some of the more broken interactions with you know coming in I'm just going to discard this artifact with Uza and you know I'm 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 out of here (laughs) you know getting rid of some of those to where there is a little bit more interaction or, or at least potential interaction in the battle phase. There's clearly, you know, second coming now that came after you left the game. So you've got two free ones that you can get and you don't have to play them together like you did with New Jerusalem. Different elements like that. So are there any other main differences in the gameplay that you'd you'd like to mention?
1: Yeah, we've we've definitely covered the bulk of it, I think, already. However, it's also worth noting that the sheer power of cards has dramatically changed i'm sure there was more of a progression in looking at the early church set and and things around that time there there's definitely a progression but for me going from 2011 to 2022 there's a huge change in the power of cards i mean i i would take most of the commons in any of the newer sets today over any of the ultra rares from back in the day there's a huge uh, power gap there which makes the games a lot more you know, interesting and fun. I mean, the, the pace of the game, the, the tides of the game, which way things are heading could change in an instant. Before, if you gave up a lost soul or two at the beginning of the game and your opponent had that one or two lost soul advantage, uh, sure, it's it's still a, a huge hill to overcome even now, but uh, back then your fate was pretty much sealed unless there was some major soul drought going on. Um, whereas today, you, you could come back with a couple of well-played cards and and things can change very quickly. So I think that's, it's good for the game. It's definitely a change. And actually, uh, Zach had a couple of notes here as well, because again, he he used to play, um, I think just with his brother back in the day, but now he's getting involved and he has that same huge gap, you know, like 2000, mid 2000s to 2021 version of cards. And he did make note of the fact that uh, the newer cards seemed broken at first, but You know, when you view it with the overall meta, it's clear what the design is meant to do. The cards um, seem like they have more of a a purpose. There's more flexibility to them, especially with the dual alignment cards, which was never a thing when I was playing originally. I guess except for philosophy, but that didn't even do anything And Saul Paul, which you only saw in heroless decks. So I I actually like how we summed up that whole point. Uh, Cards today just seem less janky and more intentional, and that is uh, very much... I think an accurate statement.
0: Yeah, I guess what you're, um, what you're alluding to there with some of the older cards, or what what Zach is alluding to is some of the older cards. Like when I first got into the game, and I looked up, oh, you can get these cards; they're super cheap, so I can invest <laughs> in all these super cheap cards, and then you start reading them, and these cards suck. <laughs> and it's 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 not that they, it's not that they, you know, suck on merit of like when they came out originally. It's the fact that the game has just advanced so much by the time that I got involved. And, you know, by the time you guys came back to it, that like a card that says, like there's one that's like interrupt opponent's wall of protection or wall of protection has no effect or something like that. And then there's there's some that refer to like Dragon Raid. And it's like this card is exclusively built within this set to answer this card. And then this card answers that card. And now... Cards having multiple uses and so much versatility. It's like these cards are just, you know, they're water basically. And your deck is cup or, you know, some type of vessel for the water to go in and you shape it how you want to. So you decide how you use that card within your deck. For example, one of our cards that was just spoiled, everyone that's playing Left for Dead. Left for Dead is a territory class card. It's the one that lets you take a card except a dominant from a reserve. You may discard a hero in battle, cannot be negated by a multi-brigade card. Territory class again, so you can play it outside of battle. Everybody that plays that card won't play it the same way, and you won't play it the same way in every game that you play it over the course of a tournament because that card is water for whatever situation you need, and it's like it can tutor out something that you need from your reserve if used by a thief, so you can grab a card that you need, and it takes any card, so it could grab you a consistency piece that lets you get to a hero or get to a battle winner for your offense. Or you can use it to take some resource from your opponent. And it's just like the cards now, when you talk about that power level, yeah, it does seem broken at first, but it also, the cards are, are more like, I would I would like liken them to water and your deck is just a vessel that, you know, is shaped by how you use those cards. And the cards are shaped by how you use them within your deck. And I don't think cards were I think cards were more rigid previously. Would you would you agree with that assessment of you know cards then and now? Oh
1: absolutely. Yes. Yeah, they were much more um, focused and I mean you gave the examples of Wall of Protection and Dragon Raid, which were at least, you know, somewhat versatile cards in that, you know, they didn't only work in one type of deck, but a lot of the apostles cards and some of the patriarchs cards, sometimes they would just target one specific character. And it wasn't even a good character that anybody in the right mind would put in a deck in the first place. So, it seems like that the uh, the card design has come a, a long way to to encourage some some more dynamic gameplay. Uh, like I said, uh, less janky and and more intentional as far as the design goes.
0: Yeah, that's that's honestly probably the perfect word to use. It is dynamic, and being able to ebb and flow within decks or whatnot, just like you do in the course of a game. Like when I first started trying to learn to play guitar, it was like, I'm going to play all these chords and I'm going to play them really loud and really like the same tone all the way through, and then you learn, oh, yeah, if you play with dynamics, you know, you hit the the low bass strings and then you hit the high, you know, more pitchy strings and, you know, you balance the sound out. You get a more easygoing tone and more pleasant to hear and more people will not tell you to shut up and leave, although my wife still tells me to shut up and leave every time I get the guitar out. So, (laughs) but definitely dynamics and, and being able to apply them differently in different situations. So you mentioned that set design, and I guess we'll just, we'll use that to say set design is obviously coming from the leadership team that the game has in place. So what are your thoughts on the current leadership team that's in place and their willingness to look out for the health of the game and the future health of the game as it relates to, you know, card bans and even rotation, you know, coming up with elements for the game like the reserve, things of that nature. Because when you were originally in the game, there was no ban list. And it's only until recent that they really have tried to, you know, if a card is just too much, they admit like they're wrong with morning wheat, for example, from Prophecy of Christ. That card had a negative impact, negative play experience attached to it. So, boom, get it out of there. We replace it with a card that is more tamed, but still a useful card in Foolish Shepherd. So, what do you think about the leadership team and how would you compare it to the era that you previously? I guess another thing is like the access to be able to know who's making the cards and interact with them. I guess is something that is probably more available now than was when you were previously involved, being that you only had the message boards, really?
1: Yeah, so I probably had some limited interactions with the leadership team uh, through the boards at the time, although um, I didn't probably know that they were the leadership team. I, I mean, I knew about Rob Anderson, that he, he made the game. I met him once at a national tournament. Uh, to be honest, I'm I'm not 100% sure if uh, Mr. Miyota was, was part of the uh, elder team at the time Uh, he very well may have been um, but if he was he was the only uh, personal connection i had to the leadership of redemption so very limited interaction with them on the whole but i love the fact that i have the great pleasure now of interacting with them on discord hearing them on the podcast Um, i think it's it's pretty special that i can hear directly from the folks who are guiding and leading the direction of the game so before i even mention anything on their their practical leadership um, i think it's worth pointing out that they have a an even more important job in the spiritual direction of the game and the fact they take that seriously Um, i've heard gabe on here more than once and and i love when i heard him talk about the four most recent sets, how they revolve around the biblical account of redemptive history, starting with the fall of man and now ending with the gospel of Christ. And I think that's a phenomenal way that they can use their leadership to, I guess, share the gospel in in a way that makes sense within the game. I mean, they even reprinted the (laughs) falling away card to reflect a a biblically theological more, uh, uh, I guess that's just an accurate viewpoint. And uh, I was thrilled that they've taken actual Christian principles and woven them throughout the cards. So that gameplay is a natural way for Christians to explore scripture, to to grow, to become more familiar with characters and nooks and crannies that you, you never hear about in Sunday school. And it's a pretty non-threatening way for unchurched people to be exposed to the gospel. And I think a lot of that is is directly the result of the leadership team. Um, but as far as your, your question, as far as the, the, the practical side of things, uh, both Zach and I had the same conclusion. Uh, they've got a tough job. It's It's not the type of job where you can make the decision that's going to make everybody happy. Because no matter what you decide, somebody's going to be irritated and something needs to be decided and i think they do a solid job as far as making these tough calls what cards need to get banned do we need a band an errata a rule change uh, rotation so i actually came in right as rotation was becoming a thing so i was actually excited at first cuz i i was able to get my hands back on my my rather large older collection of classic cards. And I thought I was going to start off on, on the right foot here because I had all these these older cards. Maybe maybe they've been out of print and, and nobody has them anymore, um, which, is, which is not the case, and, and nobody probably wants them anymore. Uh, but I heard about rotation. As soon as I get on the message boards, I, I find out that this collection of cards that I just got back into my possession is uh, now no longer tournament legal. But after hearing how the leadership explained it, it was pretty clear to me, at least, that it was the right call. I mean, we want the game to be healthy. We want it to be fun, playable. So I, I think it was the right call for sure. And they they do a fine job as far as monitoring the game and, and keeping it healthy. And a good example of that is how fast they address the Widow's Son combo while trying to get GOC to be tournament legal at the same time. I mean, that's a very fine line to walk to address a Clearly broken interaction um, but still making the the cards that they've made to to be used in a tournament because we all want to use them right
0: yeah, definitely, and I definitely agree with you that it is a tough job, it's a very tough job, and generally in the real world, tough jobs like that come with advanced level <laughs> of pay, and these guys are all working on a volunteer basis, so I think definitely you know as a community. We should continue to grant them a little bit of grace as it comes to that. And just knowing, though, that they're willing to admit when something isn't you know, quite right and knowing that they're trying to get the right fix. Not just a fix, because I feel like in the past, just because looking at some of the erratas for a card like A New Beginning, the uh, I think it was from Patriarchs maybe?
1: Oh, yeah. The enhancement. Multiple erratas.
0: How many times it's been errated to the point to where it came up in a tournament that I actually won last year. It came up in – well, actually, that might have been the East Central Regionals last year where I got second place and Jeremy Chambers won. But I was playing Luke Marshall, and we got a ruling from Chris, who is on the elder team, for that card, and then come to find out it was the wrong ruling. He pulled up the wrong errata, and it's just like instead of getting into that – being willing to admit that a card like Mourn and Weep instead of trying to errata that or something, just a clean boom, or the fact that the draw two on Endless Treasures was unhealthy, letting you go ahead and get a curse or idol or whatever it was and activate it, and then getting to draw two to go ahead and take the draw two off, things of that nature, and just be willing to not be it's almost like, especially when you're in a leadership position and everyone second-guess, they second-guess everything you do. And I know we all love this game. We love to play this game at the Tennessee State Tournament. There were several conversations about just the state of the game that we were talking about. And it's like, you don't mean to be negative about, about things or questioning things, but players are just naturally interested in the game that they love and the direction of it. And we're talking about it. And it seems like, If you were to just take that in a vacuum and listen to it, it's just constant second-guessing leadership. And, you know, Chris being on the elder team now, instead of, you know, getting upset at that, just enjoying the conversation and talking engaging what other players' interests or ideas are and things of that nature and using that as a resource to oversee the future of the game I think is pretty cool. And knowing that those guys are willing to do that and walk that line to where they don't get offended by – things and they use it more as a resource for them to know the the better direction for the game's future and whatnot is pretty cool and I think like you said getting to hear them on a podcast or interacting with them directly is something that this game has that no other game has in that exact situation where if you've got a question about the game you could literally choose to go into a message and send a direct message to every elder that the game has there's no one that's like off limits with that for you to ask. And you probably would get a a response quickly from either one of them. So I think, I think leadership team is definitely one of the bright spots for the game currently because even if you have questions about the game, I feel like you can be confident in the future of the game and the direction that it's trending. So hopefully other players that are returning to the game and – getting to interact with leadership in a more direct way after not having that when they previously played. We'll see that as a bonus for the game of redemption. Absolutely. Like you have. I guess, let me ask you, what's the one thing that you miss the most from the old days of redemption or that that era that you played in originally and that you wish was still around today?
1: Hmm. Well, now you're going to make me sound like I'm uh, criticizing the elders we just spoke so highly of. Um. That's why. I, that's why
0: I got that question out of the way so we build up some equity before we go. No, to be down honest, I path. think this, this isn't even
1: up to them in the first place. But uh, th- this may be an impossible dream, but I, I will share it with you in confidence. This is just between you and I. But uh, I, I really long for the days when you could open up a, a patriarchs booster pack and get ten patriarchs cards, and that was all. Um, So I get the game needs to make money and it it needs to survive. So I'm not going to complain too much, but uh, uh, yeah, I I do wish we had the good old days where you got exactly what was in that set. Everything was a super pack back then.
0: Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm a hundred percent on board with you there. When I, when I originally, you know, bought the starter decks and bought booster packs and I, I don't know what booster pack I bought was the first one that had like older cards tucked behind it. But I, the feeling the first time that happens and you don't know that it's coming, you feel like you've been ripped off a little bit because I, I mean, and then you, you start to explore and it, it's, it's clearly, it clearly lets you know and whatnot on the packaging and, and everything. But I, I definitely see how that would be something that you would long for if Originally, when you played the game, you got to open and it was just all, all just new cards. And I think the printer being, you know, print on demand now versus the mass printing is hopefully at some point we do work our way through those older cards or at some point the game is in a state to kind of just eat the cost of that, so to speak. I don't know if that, that is a realistic, it might be a pipe dream for both of us, but I definitely understand a hundred percent the feeling there.
1: And, and to be fair, I mean, let's, let's be honest, uh, five LOC cards or five GOC cards are, are way better than, than, you know, maybe five packs of, of what you'd get in a patriarch. So I, I really can't complain too much.
0: Although it does. The older cards do. And I guess this is the one, the one thing is it makes it kind of the wild, wild West. When you do booster draft, of cards that involve the classic cards that are tucked behind the other cards because you get some of that new power level, but then you see some of these cards that, like, you've never heard of, and this guy is, like, (laughs) whooping you with it in Booster, and you're like, what is this card, and why do you have it? Why did they print that card? And you find, like, these random cards that blend, and you might find, like, a combo piece that you would have never explored except for that. So I guess that is one I guess nuanced benefit of having it is just kind of like throwing stuff at the wall to see what fits into a deck in booster draft is kind of cool because you can come up with some crazy combinations. What's one change that you are the most thankful for over the course of the last decade plus? Like, what is there? Is there something that happened that you're like, this should have been like this from the entire beginning?
1: Yeah, we've definitely talked about the community, and I I think that has been a very significant change and again it might be on me for not being as aware of the community in the first place when i had first played but i think we can both agree that uh, the community is certainly more visible now it's got a much larger online presence with discord and youtube and land of redemption has definitely uh, helped me along with getting resources into my hands and of course, we've got multiple retailers now, which I don't believe was the reality back in the day. So I think that's the, the biggest change. And it, and it was always there to some extent, but the fact that the community at least feels a lot more visible, it feels bigger, more engaging. Uh, these people want me to be a better player. These people will pray for the seeds that are being planted in my playgroup group. And they're generous with their time and, and resources. It's it's phenomenal to be able to trade with people that I've never met in person. And they're extra generous when I make a purchase from them. So this this game is something I got back into primarily to start the ministry at my church, like I said. But uh, I think that the community is, has really made that uh, possible. So if I could thank everybody who's listening right now, because it's you folks that have made this game I think very different than what my first experience was playing it, which was great. It was a fun game back then, but I think the people on discord, uh, the people involved in the game, make it more than a game. I think we're more than the, the sum of our parts when it comes to this.
0: Yeah, definitely a good, good thing that we're trending in a positive direction for the community. And it is more visible and has a, I guess a bigger footprint, at least socially to where, you can feel more plugged in, even though you might not interact with the other community members in person. Like if you have a smaller play group, you can still feel part of the bigger whole or whatnot. And I think that's one of the common things that people said about the podcast when I first started. It was that it made you feel like you were part of something that was bigger than just where you were in the game and, and who you interacted with locally. And it was one of the coolest you know, things that kept coming up when people would, you know, DM me and and tell me they enjoyed the podcast. Just making, bringing everything together and it's almost like tying it, tying it together so that, you know, we just talked about what happened at the Northeast Regional Tournament. We talked last week when I did the vacation episode that you guys had to suffer through where it was just me being boring by myself. But we talked about Iowa State Tournament, Northwest Regional, and the Tennessee State Tournament. And, finding out who won those tournaments and and names. And and then when you get to nationals and you hear some of these names for RNRS points, you kind of have a frame of reference. Oh, yeah, he won that tournament. I remember that. And just kind of tying things together, even in a simple way like that, just makes you feel like you're part of the bigger whole.
1: And that's cool. Actually, when I got back into Redemption, I was looking for, for more resources. And I listened to podcasts. Uh, all day at work. I'm, I'm fortunate to work in a place where I, I have that luxury. So, I, I out of, uh, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't believe that I typed in the word uh, redemption CCG and an actual podcast came up. I think it was, you were only a few episodes in at the time. And I thought, what, what Yahoo is actually making a podcast for this, for this Christian card game? And, and, uh, lo and behold, I listened to it and, and it is, uh, it is phenomenal. It keeps me coming back every week and and getting plugged in, hearing these names, meeting these people in person, and and keeping up to date on everything going on in the wider world. It it is something I was very glad to have found. Absolutely. So thank you for that.
0: Nice. I'm I'm glad <laughs> to be your Yahoo. So maybe I'll maybe I'll show up with a Yahoo shirt at nationals, and then people that heard this podcast will get the reference. There we go. So. Um, let me ask you this and just put you on the, the spot because I have a, I have a buddy Jay Chambers who most people know, at least, you know, from afar, if you haven't interacted with him directly, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. He's a, he's an acquired taste in certain regards, but he does this phenomenal thing to where like you can mention something to him and he can just at the drop of a hat, tell you about the best games that he's ever played in redemption and almost like rank them and tell you very nuanced plays of those games to where it's stuck with him. So is there, is there a game that you have played to where you're like, yep, I remember that's the best game I've ever played or it's the most fun game I've ever played. What, however you want to choose best, but that's the best game I've ever played. And then, which era did it occur in? Has it happened since you've come back to the game or did it happen when you were originally mm. playing?
1: All right. I, I had to give this some thought and and I'm not going to lie. I don't have a good mind for uh, remembering things like specific games, specific plays after the effect. Um, I'll enjoy them. I'll remember them for a little bit. And, and then I have to stuff my mind with whatever crisis is going on at the time. So I, I tend to forget those things, but if you are willing to indulge a cheesy answer, I think I have an answer for you.
0: Okay, we we do like our cheese around here, especially you know John Early being a Packers fan. When he listens, he loves he loves cheese.
1: At, who so. doesn't love cheese? So here it is. Uh, I somehow talked my wife into helping me lead the play group. So our play group is myself, my wife, and Zach and Kim. And they're both married as well. So first, I had to get my wife involved, and then we could teach uh, Zach and Kim if we could convince them. So night after night, week after week, we're playing with the I and J decks because we had to start out simple, get the fundamentals down, and game after tedious game of teaching the fundamentals over and over. Uh, I'm sure you've you've experienced the same thing teaching uh, your own kid and, and just teaching new people in general. It's you know, I, I've been beyond this stuff. I'd like to get onto something a little bit more more engaging, more complex. But um, but she hung in there, and she did this uh, pretty much every single night with me for quite some time. And then one day, one game, I could see that it, it clicked, right? You could see it in the face, that it clicked. And her gameplay clearly showed that she was playing and also correctly anticipating my responses like she knew what was likely in my hand and she was playing on the anticipation of how i was going to respond to her plays and then at that point we were both playing and trying to think two moves ahead of the other person because you both have i and j starter decks you know exactly what's in each other's decks so then you're having to plan this this higher level the the game within the game and that was one of the best games i think i've ever played and I think every, playing, every game I've played with her since then has been the best game I've ever played. So shout out to my wife and, and the cheesy answer. But, I mean, you got you to agree. Seeing the, the light bulb go off and somebody that you're teaching and, and, and investing in and in, in trying to, to convey some of the nuances of the game and then for that to, to suddenly fall into place and then they're playing on this this higher level during the game, it's it's one of the greatest experiences you can have playing Redemption or, or any game for that matter.
0: I'm not going to judge you on the cheesy answer there, <laughs> uh, but I do I do want to just catalog that you've given your buddy Zach. Multiple shout outs. You shouted out your entire play group. So you're, you're, and now your wife, you're just going down the list to make sure you give a shout out to everybody so they don't come for you after this. You were on the podcast and you didn't say anything about me.
1: I mean, I'm trying to grow your listener base here. You, you want people to listen, right? They're all going to listen in, in my play group because, uh, you know, this, this is their, they're clinging the garment. This is their claim to fame, right? This is, this is nice. podcast fame by proxy.
0: Okay. So. <laughs> Well let let me say, since you answered that and it's technically from this era of redemption, I I guess. Yes. Um being that it's the starter decks on the new card face, even though they came out around the time that you would have left the game, were I and out before you left or did that happen right after?
1: Nope, they they were not out at the time. So when I picked up the IJ starter decks, I'm like, Oh great, these are the these are the new starter decks. I'm gonna learn learn new <laughs> redemption. Um so yeah, yeah, definitely uh Technically rotation era, so I'm I'm considering it this era that the greatest game I've played has occurred in.
0: Okay, well, joke was on you when you thought you were going to learn about the New Age Redemption (laughs) with those decks. you got to wait for Israel's Deliverance to come out at Nationals in 50 days. But what is the best game that you recall from the other era? So if we're counting that redemption rotation era from the first time you played in that 2004-2011 Time, per, time frame. What's the best game that you recall playing?
1: So, I got, got two different games, and I, I don't remember very many games. In fact, these are probably the only two games that I really remember playing uh, back then. And one of them was at the New York State tournament. I don't remember which year it was precisely, uh, but it was a year I was stubbornly playing this fight by the number deck. Um, and by the way, I, I thought I was rather clever since I wasn't very much plugged into the community i kind of thought that i had come up with the idea of playing uh, all the fight by the number characters which are pretty much all different brigades and then using all the multi brigade like armor of god enhancements so you can play it on any of them like i thought that was me i came up with that so um, you all heard it here first that was (laughs) that was mine so i was playing fight by the numbers deck Um, of course fight by the numbers defense as well ananias defyra king of tyrus and you know splash in your protection prince of this world and red dragon and such and i was playing against uh, jonathan greason who also uh, recently got back into the game I, I was able to see him at the new york state tournament and uh, i'm not sure if you you know him but he he was a uh, multi-title national champion from back at around that time so he was he was definitely a far better player than i was so this is roughly around the time i think the the foof tins came out Faith of our fathers. So uh, green prophets were, were like the hot new thing, and I was playing a match against him. And if I remember correctly, that's what he was running were these uh, green Old Testament prophets from Faith of our fathers. And I ended up beating him and winning my first uh, state title that day. Uh, the only play I remember from the game is kind of coming out strong, turn one with the strong angel. Um, had I think one enhancement to back him up, which. When you fight by the numbers, I, I was able to to win that battle, and getting those first couple of lost souls off of the Strong Angel was enough to to put me in enough of a lead to take the game. So obviously the draw had a big influence on that game. I'm not taking a lot of credit for drawing the Strong Angel when my opponent didn't have a lot of numbers or CBN stuff to to fight that, but uh, it was definitely a thrilling game. Uh, first ever New York State win, um, playing against somebody who who definitely – outmatches you on skill um, the the stress and the intensity that that game brings with it Um, definitely a a great game from the classic era and then the other game is probably a a game i don't remember any of the details of the actual cards being played i I remember it for a very different reason so our play group back then met in a christian bookstore a spirit and life bookstore owned and operated by Kitty Jones at the time. Uh, Mr. Miota knows her, and she actually wrote a book and and discussed redemption in it because our play group met there so often. We were playing in the back room, just a casual game, uh, no tournament, nothing nothing crazy, Uh, myself and and, uh, another kid uh, by the name of Dylan. So I was barely a teenager by that point, uh, still quite young. And Dylan and I were playing, and in a very casual way, I was able to discuss uh, the gospel. You know, what what is the the scripture behind these cards? And what in the world is, is the bigger picture here uh, in life? Not just this game, but w- what are we really doing here? And that was a very special game in my mind, not because I remember who won, won or lost. I have no idea how the game went. Uh, but I was actually able to use the game to uh, bring Dylan uh, to Christ. And that's that's also something that Kitty Jones wrote about in her book because uh, apparently Dylan wrote back to her um, long after this event and, and still remembers that game himself. And it's just, it's an incredible memory for, for me to look back on and, and see how the seeds that were planted um, sprouted then. I mean, Mr. Miyota came in years before then and it got me hooked on redemption. And that led to a chain of events that, that led to the game bringing somebody to the Lord and is now doing the same thing over a decade later in a, in a different church in a different place. So I think those, those are two of my most fondly remembered games from the classic era.
0: That is a fantastic story. I don't know if he listens to the podcast frequently, but if Mr. Miyota does listen to this, that's, that's going to be one that's going to make his heart swell knowing that he had an impact that, that led you know, those chain of set that chain of events in motion or whatnot. So definitely, definitely a cool story there. And I guess we'll get ready to wrap up here. I Wanna definitely thank you for coming on, Mark, and sharing your experience. And hopefully some of the other players that are returning, you know, you mentioned another one in Jonathan Greason. And there's been plenty of people that have stepped away from the game that are coming back and maybe this is something that's interesting to them to be able to learn from. Your experience, or you know, compare experience and getting reacclimated with the game and whatnot. Maybe not from such a such a big jump. I know some of them probably didn't take a decade or so off. You know, it might be you know two or three years, but just the the game changes at such a fast pace now. If you've stepped away for a couple of years and come back, it it's going to be definitely a a process to get caught back up and and you know figure out the nuances of the gameplay and, and how to build a deck with, you know, meta in in mind now that we've got a more connected and more socially present community where you have these resources and you can learn from the met scientist making tons of videos where he's just rambling and giving you off great details. You get to watch a great player like Redemption with Jaden or Rob M. sharing gameplay footage from tournaments, things of that nature. And you can use all of those to become a better player. So hopefully this is enlightening to some people and your experience is shared by others and and this can help them as they get reacclimated to the game. So definitely want to thank you for coming on. You got anything you want to share before we close?
1: Yeah, first of all, uh, thank you very much for inviting me. This This has been uh, sort of a dream of mine ever since I heard the podcast for the first time. I was thinking, goodness, I, I got to find a way to get on that. And uh, little did I know all I had to do was uh, not play the game for a decade. So I'm glad that worked out. And uh, my only regret is that I will probably not be very surprised by the upcoming episode. Uh, that is okay. It was well worth it to, to actually be on here and chat with you. And a very hearty thank you to everybody out there who has helped me personally, that has helped the game. Um, I genuinely believe this is the reason why the game is so great, is, is you folks who make it great. Um, and again, it's it's not anything special about you or I. It's the grace of God and, and how he makes everything work precisely according to his plan, uh, like he did with Dylan, like he's doing with myself and my group now. Um, this is his game. I've I've seen many people share that sentiment. This is his game, and he knows precisely what he's doing with it. So thank you very much, and uh, God bless everybody.
0: Speaking of, uh, not to harp on it and, and keep that going before we close here, but if you guys want to hear a little bit more or use the game for more of a Bible study tool, don't forget that our guest here, Mark, did do a series of devotionals on Land of Redemption. It was titled... If I'm not mistaken, God's glory and our assumptions, correct?
1: That is correct, yes. Yep.
0: So you can go and check that out and we'll give him a little shameless plug there for you to go and review what he's put out for devotionals on land of redemption. So also a reminder before we close here to get in your games for the Lackey Grand Prix number four and Zoom invitational number three. Also, make sure you register or pre register for nationals. So you are ready when the time comes, and we are now at the time of release here, 50 days away, so make sure you're fine-tuning those decks. I mentioned previously that we're going to try to have Tyler on in the next week's episode to talk about kind of the progression of a deck throughout the tournament season and getting it ready to perform well at national. So hopefully we'll be able to arrange that. But I want to thank you guys for tagging along and listening to the podcast here. We appreciate you. Peace. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening and joining us on this episode. I want to thank Mark for coming on and sharing his perspective of getting back into the game after a long break from it and sharing his thoughts in regard to that. I want to remind you, if you've signed up for Lackey Grand Prix number four, that round one pairings are up, and likewise, round one pairings for the Series 3 Zoom Discord Invitational hosted by Rob M. Those are up, so make sure you get your games in if you've signed up for those. And also remember, Redemption National Tournament is 50 days away. So if I leave you with one thought, it's that in 49 days, on that 50th day, we'll be standing face-to-face in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. So make sure you make your plans, make sure you pre-register, and we'll see you there. Talk to you next week. Peace.